0: Independent filmmaking is getting harder and harder every week. If I was to make a movie like The Beyond today, I don't think it would get that traction because the bubble is already this big with science fiction and it's so cost dependent. So I always say, like, you know, if you're making a low budget movie, you try to choose something that looks quite expensive but a very small amount of money because it means that there isn't a huge amount to recoup. But also, when you recoup it, it means that you can go on to make your next movie.
1: Hey, it's Andy here and welcome to the Video Talks podcast uh, where we talk to creators and commissioners and everyone in between about the business of video. So if you have just tuned into this episode, um, you'll realize that this is part two of uh, the interview that I did with Hazraf Hazdalal, the director who started in VFX and worked his way into feature films. And that's what he's doing at the moment. So the previous episode is episode six. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, then I'd I'd recommend that you go back and listen to that episode because there's loads of brilliant advice in there for people who are filmmakers and creators um, and everyone in between. So let's kick off with part two. Here we go. It's uh, it's Hazraf has Dalal during the development of the beyond um, you tapped into you said you tapped into your kind of movie exec um, contacts and and discovered what would be Essentially, what would they would be looking for in two years time? Could you find a kind of way around? Could you find it if you don't have those contacts already? Obviously, you you are very accomplished in in, um, your VFX work already. I'm not saying there's a short route because there is never (laughs) a short route. But is there a way that, you know, if you don't have those contacts that you can kind of look at what might be what people might be looking at in a couple of years time?
0: Yes, there is. And if you used to ask me that question, say like uh, three years ago, I'd be like, I have no idea. But today I can really safely say, yes, you can, you know, because here's the thing like over the years, I like, the ho- for example, the whole of last year, I spent in development for this for my next film. Now, one of the things I realize is you can just reach out to sales companies. So in order for a film to be sold, you have a sale company, right? A sales company. You know, when you see a movie and you have like these six, seven different logos pop up. You're like, how many people involved in this film? Well, most of those logos are sales companies and distribution companies. You know, Lionsgate could have the rights to distribute in Europe, whereas Universal will have the rights to distribute North America. And then you have Tencent has the right to to distribute in China. So all those logos will come up on on the movie because they're each individual territorial sales. Now those companies, you know, Loads of sales from like Gravitas Ventures. You know, there's a few others, like that AMP, another one. They they, they focus more on independent films, right? So you, so you can reach out to those people very easy. You can just email them. Another one's called Raven Banner, who, you know, they're a Canadian-based sales company, and they predominantly deal with genre, horror, sci-fi, movies that are made for like 2 million or less. Um, You can reach out to those people. You can either email them, but most importantly, what works better is go to a film festival or go to or go to places like um you know when when it was around like Cannes, for example but yeah you, know, you can go to um you know the american film market if you're based in the us there's a bunch of other sort of like they call them trade shows where sales companies attend looking to buy content film film producers are there to sell content it's a film market essentially what's the, what the Cannes film market is the american film market is berlin film market go to those. If, you, if you've got a script and you have a budget breakdown, go to those places, just go out and talk to them and engage with them because they are so open because they will, they are the ones that are going to reply to your emails. When you send an email say, Hey, I've got a project. We're about to go into production. You know, we're casting at the moment. Love to have a conversation with you about the potential sales, because then they will tell you what they themselves are looking for. You know, how they're going to sell the movie and no one else would know this better than them because they're the ones out in the front line selling the movie of various territories okay now but don't rely on one sales company so when you're when you're meeting these various sales meet at least five five to six or seven sales company you can do that all in a day when you're at these events right even film festivals have a lot of sales company representatives there and get a good lay of the land that way if you find five out of seven of the distribution companies you spoke to said you know we're looking for this content or this thing in science fiction or you need to have this level actor or you know or something then that's that's your that's your pointer in order how to shape your movie commercially now of course you can't just rely on cells and data because at the end of the day we're making films films is like an art okay and we all hear the saying, we're looking for something unique. We want something unique, but unique and fresh is very risky for financiers, very risky for sales companies. So if you are coming up with something fresh and unique, then before you approach a sales company, it would help if you already had a potential link with a potential actor. Now, the thing is, Depending on what your budget is, I'm assuming you're talking about a first-time filmmaker, right? That just wants to make its first his or her first film, then you'll be making something super low budget. Okay. So what you do is you tell the sales company this is a science fiction film, the comparison is like the twisted time travel of Looper to the emotional science fiction characters of arrival. Yeah, if you could shape it like this you'll get the attention of sales companies. And they're like, well, we can sell this because Arrival made this amount of money. This film made this amount of money, you know, but what I always, the advice I always tell filmmakers when they're talking to finances and sales companies and actors, don't say your movie is like, it's going to be like Star Wars. It's going to be like gravity because that as impressive as that may sound in terms of ambition, you're actually going to be turned away because people who are in the industry will know there's no way you're going to be able to do Star Wars. If you do attempt it, it's not going to look good and we're not going to look good. So going of a humble opinion will say, look, this is low budget. This is contained. It's all set in one room. But here's what makes this film special. And here's why people will flog to their VOD streaming of choice and pay $4.99 to rent it or $13.99 to buy it. Or why this film could potentially be a theatrical limited because it has this, this and that. If you approach it this way, people are willing to take a risk, but also people can see how you're gonna sell it. The, what I always do is when I go in, I never tell them, pitch on the story. No, I pitch on the trailer. Because at the end of the day, distributors are marketing guys. They the first thing they want to know is there's two things they want to know. Firstly, how are you gonna sell this movie, which is important, which is what's gonna decide whether they're gonna spend another 10 minutes talking to you, and B. Is there something in this that gives it value? Is the director high value um, director? Is um, the actor they've got attached high value? Is the music composer high value? Those are the elements that's involved. And I have to say independent filmmaking is getting harder and harder every week, okay? Like if I was to make a movie like the Beyond today, I don't think it would get that traction because the bubble is already this big of science fiction and it's so cast dependent. So I always say like, you know, if you're making a low budget movie, you try to achieve something that. looks quite expensive, but a very small amount of money, because it means that there isn't a huge amount to recoup, but also when you recoup it, it means that you can go on to make your next movie. So yeah, you know, sales companies are very approachable and to find them, you just go on IMDB or you look at, um, I know there's, um, screen daily. Yeah, there, There's a bunch, you can just Google sales agents or, you know, the easiest way to do it, if you're not very familiar with things like IMDb Pro or, or trade magazines, is when you watch a movie and you see certain logos, just Google those logos. That's exactly what I did with the Beyond. I was struggling, I mean, I had, we had like 13 sales companies jumping on the bandwagon, and like wanted to like distribute the movie. And for me, I knew making a movie is one thing, but the thing that could make or break your film isn't necessarily the story or anything like that, because that's subjective, right? What could make or break your film is, getting in the getting in bed with the wrong sales company because they'll take your film and then they'll put it on a catalog and you'll never see it again or they do a really shoddy job of promoting it or whatever so for me it's just as important and i remember like thinking who the hell is going to get this film because we had one distributor who's going, can we recut the trailers have all the action all the beautiful vfx scenes i'm like uh, i don't think you quite get this movie so i remember watching this documentary called um i think it was called nightmare which is um it's a fake documentary about sleep paralysis, which I watched on Amazon. It was so well done. It was, and I it freaked the hell out me because I felt it was real, but even though it was a fake docu, but very dramatized, right? And I remember seeing the logo Gravitas Ventures come up. I'm like, I've seen this logo a few other independent films, and you look at their catalog, and you're like, these guys distribute some really cool films that are very twisted in sci-fi genre, yet they get a lot of traction. Cause I go on iTunes on this all Gravitas Venture film. I go on like you know, Amazon, a lot of Gravitas Ventures. I'm like, I think these are the guys that will get it. So I went on their website, emailed them on their contact list, sent my link to the private trailer link. Within 24 hours, they got back. They go, we love this. Can we jump on a call? And it was a guy called Scott Paplin, who's a VP of Gravitas, who's no longer there now. He's got his own company. He fell in love with the project. And I think it's important when you find a sales company that genuinely loves your project, not just loves the idea of selling a film, which a lot of them do. Um, they gen- And this this guy, Scott Kaplan, was a sci-fi nut. So he made it his mission to get this movie out for me. And that's how I found Gravitas Ventures. So really, it wasn't to do with my connections as such to get Gravitas. It was really just watching that movie or that documentary. Go, Who are these guys? I want to team up with these guys. And anyone can do this. You can do this. Anyone can do this.
1: Brilliant. Um, Obviously, we've got to touch on, um, you know, what you're what you're up to at the moment. But I think I'd just like to go through our scrub forward, um, our scrub forward round, which is like a quick fire round. So if you don't (laughs) want to answer, just say scrub. Um, Okay, video nasty. What's the worst habit you see people practice in filmmaking or animation?
0: Um, Probably using the word fix it in post on set. That's like the worst thing I've heard. Oh, don't worry about it. We'll fix it in post. Um, It'll take you 10 seconds to move that that lamppost. Don't worry, we'll fix it in post. Then it takes you two weeks to remove that digitally. So that's a really bad habit, I'll
1: see. And is that one of the reasons that you um, you did 2036, (laughs) Origin Unknown? Partly, yeah. Built a set, yeah?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah.
1: Cool. Okay, VR or AR or Mixed R?
0: You know, it's an interesting question. I'm a big fan of mixed R. Because with VR, I'm one I get motion sickness quite a lot. But I feel so to me, I feel like all I'm doing is moving around and whereas with AR, there's a level of interactivity. For me, I find the idea of mixed art intriguing because this is for me, it's about how do you tell stories by providing a new experience. I remember looking at early VR. Early VR was just people trying to create traditional narrative in a 360 space, which felt very gimmicky. Whereas I've seen good VR these days, especially video games in VR, really utilizes the medium really well. You know, using haptic you know, shock on your hands and stuff to really make you feel integrated. But AR, there's a level of simplicity about AR, which I love. The fact that you just get your phone, move it around and you're in familiar settings with an additional thing that heightens your experience. So mixed AR for me is the idea of heightening an experience of storytelling. That excites me a lot.
1: Can you imagine um, doing something in that area in the future?
0: Already. We're already in early developments on that. Absolutely.
1: Uh, What techniques and software?
0: Um, That's a very subjective sort of question because everyone has their own. For me, I use DaVinci Resolve for color grading and editorial. I use the Adobe Creative Suite because it has Photoshop. It has everything I need to do things. yeah, so that's in terms of software. Did you say techniques as well, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's subjective <laughs> as you want it. Yeah,
0: yeah. it is. It is there. I think one technique I would say, regardless of what software you're using, especially editorial, is organize your stuff. If you organize your files and data, then then you know when you're editing, you have all your bin files organized and label them accordingly. Yes, it's a bit of a hassle to set it up, but it makes your software ut- usage experience so much easier and so much better.
1: And you can hand it off to somebody without them like screaming their head off. Touche, exactly. Um, okay, plays play, pause, stop. One thing you always do, one thing you sometimes do, and one thing you should never do.
0: Okay. So one thing I, I always do is um I don't know, I just keep saying everything is awesome. Everything <laughs> that I see is friggin' awesome. And it's a really it's actually a bad habit because then I'm like actually isn't that awesome now that i've looked at it really closely so because i get very excited when i see something that that's fresh especially when visual effects artists are sending me dailies to look at i'm like oh my god that's so cool they are like is that signed off i'm like no no that's just me (laughs) saying it's awesome actually it's not signed up i have some notes so yeah so that's um, that's something that i do a lot yeah
1: well one thing you sometimes do
0: i always compare things with something else for example someone sends me Sends, sends me, I don't know, a script to read. And I get a lot of scripts to read, okay? And I read the script, and I'm like trying to find something that I've read before, and I'm like, hey, that that's exactly like this film. Now, I mean it from a tonal point of view, but when you talk to a writer, they're like, what do you mean exactly <laughs> like this thing? This thing's freaking unique, man. I'm like, yeah, what I meant was it's got tones of it. it goes, well, should I change it? Um, so that's something sometimes I do, and I try to avoid doing that now because I try to look at things as... um as unique as they are but yeah i tend to compare a lot and i think a lot of it's because what we we're saying earlier the research thing where you go down a rabbit hole too far and i'm just having so much research that i can just literally say it's like that film it's like this film it's like that film and i do that sometimes yeah
1: <laughs> and one thing you should never do
0: <laughs> apart from saying fix it in post one thing you should never do is not have a plan that's what i always say do not go into something without a plan Like even before you go into a meeting, have a friggin' plan. Like when you're going on a film shoot, have a plan, whether it's storyboards or shot lists. Now you can storyboard the hell out of your film, but when you turn up on the day, it's okay to throw away the plan and make it up if you want to, but you can't make stuff up without going with a plan in the first place, because here's the thing, this planning and prepping isn't just for you. It's for everyone else on the film set. And it's so much better to say, hey, guys, I came in with a plan today, which you've all seen to show how prepped I am. But also on this scene, we're going to wing the hell out of it because we're just going to go improv. Your crew are going to respect that and go, yeah, okay. You know, he did come with a plan, so he can wing this bit. I think it's important to have that. So you should never go in without a plan, whether it's a meeting, a film shoot, or anything.
1: I agree. Brilliant. (laughs) Um, Okay, give us one secret animation tip one secret anim tip. I,
0: I would say um i'll give an animation tip because i'm currently in an animation project i would say if you're stuck on the way something is moving and look get your iphone put it on the desk and act it out no one else is going to see it apart from you you'll be surprised the thing that was bugging you on the animation is usually something that's a subtle nuance that you can't animate without seeing a reference like, you know, we, we're doing a scene at the moment where the guy's screaming and I'm telling the animators, like, I want it to scream like this. It's got to be, and I'm giving all this, like, I don't know, I'm giving a lot of context Like you know, he's angry. He's lost his, he's lost his wife. He wants revenge and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, but what's that look like? What's that? And you just end up saying like this. And then when I'm filming it, they're going frame by frame and seeing all the nuance in my cheek. That saves days or weeks of going backwards and forwards. So a tip is whatever you're animating, look in a mirror or film it on your phone as a reference you don't need to show people but as long as you've got something to look at because it's the subtleties is what makes animation what it is today
1: well there's like uh golden tips there um talking talking of tips for kind of first-time filmmakers or at least filmmakers on that journey um you have actually developed a bit of a, a course haven't you in in vfx and filmmaking
0: yeah, yeah, def- that's definitely a good segue into this actually, because um after making my two, uh, after making The Beyond and making Origin, I went on to making a TV show for for Disney called Fast Lane. And remember um, being on set, and obviously you're working on a Disney show, everything's bigger budgets, right? It's a huge crews, very different experience. But I remember like a lot of people coming up to me because, hey, man, we just saw your movie. Like a lot of executives from Disney, are like we just, you know, we saw your movie and. Um, there's a lot of effects in that film, and I mean, it's very big scale looking. Like, but we know that you can spend a lot of money. How did you do this? And um, I remember like spending so much time talking to people how I'm doing it and how I did it, all the process, and then taking meetings. Like, you know, I'll go to Los Angeles every three every three to four months because you have to go to you know, make a face. Today we do all via Zoom. Back then, before COVID, we would travel there and we'll talk. And um, and I would spend so much of my time like becoming dry in the mouth, just saying the same thing. This is how I did it. You know, I thought outside the box. What I mean from that is I did this and I'm like, why don't I just put a freaking course together and people can just look at it and just, and you know, I could just get it out there. Um, but I'm not a teacher. Yeah. I, I mean, I talk a lot, but I'm, I'm, I don't teach. I don't lecture and there's a structure to that. So, and also I just didn't want to sit in front of a camera and just, do like that masterclass thing where you're talking i just just didn't want to do that so um i remember clearing my hard drive prepping for the next project and i was clearing like a terabyte no i think it's like two to three terabytes of just so much behind the scenes footage b-roll material i'm like there's stuff in there that will never be seen by the world there's stuff showing me working with actors there's stuff where actors are flopping on their lines there's stuff showing how we're building all the sets I'm like, this stuff is gold, and usually when you're making a movie, you always try to do the behind the scenes, okay, because I'm a big fan of behind the scenes, you know part of my film school, apart from working in visual effects in previous, was I would binge watch the making of The Matrix, you know, the behind the scenes, I would buy DVDs because they had a behind the scenes extras, regardless of what the film was so I kind of like Yeah, I I was hungry for that stuff. And I felt like we're not getting a lot of that now because a lot of it's on YouTube. So I felt like I want to give something back as well. I want to do that. So I had tons of materials, but as you know, with distribution companies, you know, they're very selective of what behind the scenes they put on and because of, you know, data space or so on. So, you know, most of that, 75% of the material never got used. So I'm like, well, I own the material to the beyond and I own the material for Origin Unknown being a producer on it. So I started putting together this course where I wanted a unique angle and a unique angle was you never see me talking to the camera you hear me talking but you just the whole thing is a fly on the wall experience of what it's like to make those movies especially the the movies the beyond original known so I took a few months and put together this science fiction filmmaking course now like the way I made the beyond I did some research and there's tons there's, there's hundreds of thousands of filmmaking classes out there and they're really good but I found there was something in there that was missing. And the thing that was missing, there was two things. Firstly, they, they didn't feel very current, like, and they didn't really show so much problem solving. They were fantastic with the theory of cinematography, the, film, the theory of directing actors. That stuff was great, you know, it's priceless stuff. But there wasn't anything in there that was saying, we effed up and this is how we solved it. Or, you know, how do you get your script to screen from a director's point of view. And most importantly, how do you market your films? What is involved in marketing, you know, and paperwork, legals. Yeah, these are stuff that I had no idea until I made the film The Beyond and I'm being requested for like hundreds of paperwork from release form to legals, the sign offs. They don't teach you that stuff. I don't think they teach you that in film school, they just cover it. But also I wanted to, kind of give an insight that people weren't familiar with visual effects that could make visual effects movies. And a lot of it is having an understanding of visual effects as a as a tool, as opposed to the savior of your film. I want to make that clear. So that is why I titled this, this course, which is like a 13 part course. They're very bite sized They're like between five to 10 minutes long. And I purposely made them bite sized because I knew the attention span when I'm watching a filmmaking class within 10 minutes, I'll doze off or I'm going to get bored. So I wanted something that could be repeatable viewing, kind of like what Quibi is doing at the moment, you know, with those short bite-sized um, content. I wanted to do something like that. and But also I wanted to make it in a way that um, that anyone can access. Wasn't just for filmmakers, but also people that were aspiring to filmmakers or just fans of science fiction films that wanted to know, what was it, what's it like working in miniatures? You know, how do you marry miniatures of visual effects today? How do I take a script? And how do I break it down so that I can budget it? How do I break it down so I can communicate to my heads of departments? There was nothing like that out there. So that's what this class is. And it's great because now I can finally put the bed all the behind the scenes footage because it's all getting used.
1: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Where can people <laughs> find the course? So
0: you can definitely find it on the link that, um, that you know we can post out. It's a Vimeo link. But if you go to hazvfx.com, on the front page of hasvfx.com, you'll see a link to it. And it's been me on demand. So you can watch it, you can like you can rent it. And what I did was recently during COVID, I just slashed the prices. I just thought, screw it. You know, I didn't make this to be as a commercial hit. I made this as a way just to get get all this in here and in there out. So I slashed the prices to like it's a price of a pint. You can now rent the entire thing. So hopefully that's accessible. Hopefully it inspires filmmakers to go out there and make stuff. But most importantly, it just gives an insight into what it's like to make movies, and that um, literally anyone can do it.
1: So we we have been through your incredible life um, and your career from VFX into features, and now your latest project that's wrapped was an animation, and then um, then you work you're in development of another one. Could you maybe touch on those? sure
0: thing so um, the recent project i just finished called Battlesuit, which is a pilot Uh, so for those who don't know what a pilot is a pilot is usually the test proof of concept episode which will either decide a show gets greenlit or does not get picked up okay so it's like a typical american model of television um so a comic book company last year reached out to me via linkedin and said hey look we're huge fans of your work we yeah you know, would love to meet up. It was actually the owner of a comic book company called Neil Gibson, who's a really great comic book writer. He he runs a company called T Pub Comics, and he's quite familiar, um, well known for Twisted Dark series. So um, he we met up for a cup of coffee at Costa, and um, and he just wanted some insight on how how do he had to move his comic IP into into the film world, and because he was fans of my work, he wanted to meet me. And so there was no idea of collaborating at all like that. I gave, he gave me a bunch of comic books. That's the perks of meeting comic book companies, by the way, you get tons of comic books. Um, all on my shelf there. Um, so, um, and I read one, and then he was late on, he goes, look, I had a great meeting with you, man. Thanks for the advice. Look, we're looking to do proof of concepts and we would love for you to direct one of the proof of concepts. You know, we have a small amount of money and it's just to show if we can get our comic book IP onto the silver screen. Um, which story would you like? And I read one, it was an anthology called Theory, a science fiction anthology called Theory, about this astro archaeologist that goes around the galaxies solving, trying to figure out why those planets died in the hope that she can protect her own civilization. So I thought it was a really moving story. And there was one episode in there, or one chapter, in the anthology called Battlesuit, which is about a big giant mech robot that they find and then they tap into it and you see the memories of that giant robot. And there's tons of mecha gun-down type action. I'm like, I'm doing that. I'm a huge fan of anime. And second, I want to I do something big giant robot. But the money they had, the budget had was quite small to do it live action. So I went back to this, listen, there's no way we could do this in live action. You know, you're going to need the budget of Pacific Rim or you know, it doesn't matter like how many hours I spend on it. It won't look as good and i'm worried about doing something that won't look as good and i really love this material so i'd rather not do it and then i went away and a few days later you know i watched love death and robots on netflix i'm like this is friggin' dope yeah you know, this is amazing they could do adult animation like this and there's a hunger for it now and at the same time i was um, doing previs for my next feature film called luna which was supposed to shoot this year but we were now postponed it for obvious reasons for next year so i was using it called unreal engine so unreal engine is made by the developers epic games and they've made this game called fortnite which we're all familiar with so unreal engine is the tech that drives the games and the cinematics i was using it to do previews, okay but i quickly realized doing previs that the quality of the previs i was doing on my laptop surpassed the previs i was doing back on the dark night because back in the day previs was little gray objects sliding around just to get the composition and timing and framing but what i was doing was it had lighting reflection textures shadows motion capture it felt like a first pass animated film so i quickly thought to myself i spoke to the guys at epic i said hey you know is anyone making animated content out of this? everyone's like well yeah they're looking to do it but everyone's used for game cinematics or the actual game content i'm like do you think it's crazy if i attempt to make an animated film out of this? they're like no you should give it a shot so i went back to the comic book company and said listen why don't we make this into an animated into an animated episode and they're like "Well, we don't know we want to do live action we're not sure about animation animation is super expensive you need a huge studio i'm like i don't know man i think we could do this for very little money using real-time cgi tech they're like what the hell is that so i'm like okay it's give me give me a week i'll put together a test because they were very worried about what it would look like okay yeah as most IP owners and producers always worried about what's it going to look like? Is it going to be cartoony? You know, is it not going to have that, that's that visceral feel? So I showed him Love, Death and Robots with a big disclaimer saying, we're not going to make this, but just to give you an idea of what the popularity of animations at the moment where there's a hunger for adult animation. Um, So I went away and I bought some, I, I took some free assets from Epic's marketplace Put that together, and I put together this really quick two-minute sequence of these two characters having this fight. Sent it to, to the comic book company, and they're like, oh, holy crap. If you can do the pilot like this, then go off and make it an animated pilot. Here's the budget. So it, firstly, not only did it give them confidence of the animation format, but it also, for me, I set the benchmark expectations. So even if I just gave them that, they would be happy with that. And that's very important when you're dealing with clients, right, it's a set to manage their expectations, okay? So this ended up becoming a pilot and I ended up getting Nvidia on board to help. Razer came on board and said, "Um, listen, we'd love to sponsor this. You know, here's a a Razer laptop and gave us a lot of um, tech sponsorship. And because I've had a reputation over the years with technology sponsorship, with Blackmagic, with Adobe, with the Foundry, and tons of others, it was a natural thing for me. Um, that came out. That came out two weeks ago. Battle Suits, and it's done really well. Like gaming community love it. Um, games, visual effects, and so on, and we're getting a lot of press about it. But the thing that's most um, inspiring about the project was that whole twelve-minute pilot episode was created with just three people myself doing all of the animation and camera work and shot setup as much hands-on I can do. We had a guy called Ronan Aitan, who's our technical director, the sort of guy. He set up the pipeline, he would do all the rigging. And we had Andrea Tedeschi, who's worked on every single of my project. amazing Italian based um, CGI artist. And he built all the assets for us. As well as we bought a bunch of other assets offline and kind of built them ourselves, that like kit bashed approach. And then we hired this amazing composer called um, Edward White. So, you know, three people to actually physically make the thing, one sound guy that did sound design and music and two voice actors that came in and did the voices. Now, we didn't just do the voices. This is something that is quite special about this project was we had an iPad connected to Unreal Engine. So, we were recording their face movement data onto the characters, oh, and at the same time another output was capturing the voice. So that for us was a game changer in terms of animation, because we're now doing facial capture animation and voice recording at the same time, all in real-time graphics, you know, high processing GPU power in a laptop. So that's why this film is becoming a bit of a popular hit in terms of market marketing, because everyone's like, "How the hell?" That opened the doors for me massively. You know, with you know this the battle suits was finished during COVID during the covid19 pandemic
1: and where can uh, where can people see battlesuit you, before we move on you
0: can w- yeah i mean you can go to the Razor website if i'll send a link to the Razor website or you can just go to hazfilm.com so h-a-z-f-i-l-m.com and go to battlesuit and you can watch it there um, or you can just google battlesuit and it'll come up um so yeah and that opened the doors for loads of animation and um and a company in l.a own the rights to a video game IP so I've got to be really careful what I say now because we haven't announced it but it's a very popular video game IP and it asked me to pitch on it and I pitched on it and what we realized was the video game was actually it's actually made in unreal engine so I'm like ding! I've got an idea S- send me all the game assets so I'll reach out to the game developers and it was important for me to get the game developers blessing you know because as you know you know game developers are so they're very precious about their IP and for an external filmmaker with have a Hollywood studio saying, we're going to make the film version of this. They're like, oh, we're going to get this Tomb Raider situation here. So um, it was important for me to pitch the project, but also get the blessing of the game developers who are based in Sweden. They loved the pitch. They go, you respected our IP, yet you put your own spin to it. And I'm like, can you send me all your game assets? I'm like, really? Like, yeah. So they sent me all the game assets and we spent a month up the assets. So now we're making the entire animated film in Unreal Engine which is again a game changer for us because we're using like we're using real time CGI we've democratized the way animations made now because now you don't need a huge studio huge render farm it doesn't cost 30 million or 20 million to make a full animated film it costs way less so it's kind of taken my guerrilla approach to the way I made the beyond and my films and my love for science fiction and anime and my experience in animation and video games, all of the stuff that I've built up since the start of my career has now kind of molded into this new format of making films. And it's very exciting.
1: Amazing. It's just all com- <laughs> culminating in i know right? your <laughs> games history or movie exactly. history. It's brilliant. Wow, I just don't even know where where you'd go next after that. But so um, big
0: mixed reality,
1: yeah. So so you probably like you've got are spinning that plate at the moment on you as well? We're
0: looking into it. We're looking into it. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. So Unreal Engine being a, a game changer, no pun intended, but for 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 you and potentially a wider. You know, a wider industry. That's really interesting. And and yeah. I saw your um your behind the scenes of making was it battle suit? No, and Battlesuit, and yeah. you you were saying I'm just this is a really mobile setup. This is this is very durable. What is the future? Do you think for? I mean, not specifically sci-fi, but obviously tech leads um, sure. creativity in a lot of places. What are your what's your vision for? the future of the industry essentially
0: sure i mean virtual production is the buzzword at the moment it's the buzzword you know i think most of us have already seen the behind the scenes of mandalorian where they had huge massive screens like a big volume of led screens and they're playing back um, cgi backgrounds synchronized with your camera and that means now the future of filmmaking is like is very exciting because now we don't have to travel to those locations. We can have a studio play back the photoreal CG backgrounds synchronized your camera. Now a lot of people like say, "Well, isn't that just rear projection?" No, rear projection is playing back footage and your camera is locked like this. If you try to move your camera to the side, it will be flat. Right? Virtual production is playing a three D photoreal three D scene in real time in a game engine, whether it's Unreal or Unity. And that CGI camera is synchronized with your camera on the set. So when you move that camera, that camera is moving as well. So you get real parallax. You it's as if you're there. You get real depth of field. You get lighting on the actor's face, and that is a game changer because now yeah, that's going to really change the way filmmakers approach scenes. It would change the way films are budgeted, which means you know you don't have to fly an actor halfway around the world. You can probably go to where the actor is and build build a virtual set, you know, but also from the independent filmmaking world, you know, the tools that we use to make those visual effects or or those very expensive looking CGI sequences are pretty much free now. I mean look you have Unreal Engine free to download. You have Unity, which is free and affordable. You have Blender, which is a 3D animation compositing software. Free, has mm. always been free, but now it's also part of Unreal Engine. And I think you know we're gonna get to a point where we're gonna see stories that were not necessarily possible back in the day you're going to see a lot of them coming out you're going to be seeing like short films not trying to be a version of another film but doing something that is bold and brave you're going to find studios network executives, finances finances are going to find in themselves to like take a leap of faith and say you know let's try this most batshit crazy idea because the technology is so affordable now and so cheap, it's in the hands of the filmmakers. The filmmakers are gonna be able to express themselves so much more quicker and faster, as opposed to before where they'll hire a storyboard artist, they'll hire a previous team, get very frustrated going backwards and forwards, spend a year trying to get this vision when now you spend a day and you've got your vision on screen. That's gonna change massively. And I'm really excited because, not only from a filmmaker from my point of view, but as an audience, I'm going to see other filmmakers coming out of ideas that would deem too crazy to do back in the day, which now is possible.
1: I look forward to seeing your next move <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and what, what is your, you know, on a, on a more personal level, what's your kind of um, vision for your future and your ultimate goals?
0: Um, basically for me, you know, I want to get to a point in my career where I've made a lot of films. I've made a lot of diverse type of films, um, you know, science fiction thrillers action it was like tv shows. But to a point where i get to a point where i'm producing other filmmakers because you know i recently um, produced a or exec produced a short film called satori which was directed by the cinematographer and my good friend adam bachelor and yeah you know, was his first short film and he's always been a cinematographer he was a cinematographer on the beyond cinematographer on my short film sync so it's nice to see him kind of like take the next step and, be- and go in a director's chair and my job is to support him to take his vision, and I really love that part of the job where I wasn't responsible for like making directed decisions. Now I'm now the guy that's saying you need to be, I need to have more um, clarity here, and you need to hit the budget. You know, what can I do to help you make your film based on my experience? And I think you know, in the future, I'm, I would love to see myself more of a producer where I tap it into new talent because of my experience, because I understand the format of animation, visual effects, and high concept filmmaking you know, to be able to take the next generation of filmmakers and empower them to tell their stories. But you can't do that until you made a bunch of movies yourself. So that's where I see myself, yeah.
1: Well, thanks, Haz. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, highly entertaining and highly educational um, <laughs> talking to you. It's brilliant. How do people connect with you if, if you don't mind them connecting?
0: Sure. I'm, I'm quite big on social media, so you could follow me on Twitter, uh my handle on twitter is h a z underscore Delol, my surname which i will put on at the bottom of the link of this podcast and my instagram which is h a z dazzle you'll find me there and it's definitely worth if you if you are interested to to see more behind the scenes Is both of my social media accounts like my um instagram i post a lot of behind the scenes footage all the time as i mean projects i try to inform people so if you are interested in, in an insight on how films are made definitely check out my my social media
1: Brilliant. Any quick plug that you wanna make?
0: Um, definitely look out for the animated feature trailer. It's gonna hit probably end of August. But in the meantime, definitely check out my filmmaking classes because I'm sure there's one episode in there that's gonna connect with anyone. Whether you're into sound, whether you're into filmmaking, whether you're into just creative script writing, you'll benefit from that.
1: Well amazing. Thanks so much. And uh we'll catch up with you hopefully again when the when the animated film is out. Definitely. So cheers, take it, it, it it's
0: easy. Been, it's, been, it's been so much fun. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. So thank you.
1: Brilliant. Well, best of luck with everything. Cheers. Whoa. Well, that was a long one, wasn't it? Um, thanks so much again to Haz Dalal. He was uh, full of brilliant. I keep saying brilliant, but he was brilliant. So I'm going to keep saying brilliant. Um, brilliant advice for anyone who's looking to direct a, uh, a short, a feature, anything really, but also there's loads of, um, there's loads of nuggets in there of just stuff that everyone can kind of take away. You know, the stuff about making a plan, always make a plan for things like meetings, and you know, exercise and clearing your head and that kind of thing, and finding inspiration. So, um, yeah, an all round brilliant, I say that again brilliant, uh, interview. So, if you'd like to keep the interviews coming, um, the next ones are likely to be shorter, I think, but equally as informative and hopefully entertaining. So if you would like to keep getting these in your feed, in your podcast feed, then please um, hit subscribe. And um, if you have time, then it would be brilliant if you can drop a little review in there, uh, because algorithms like reviews, I think. And if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, so that will include all the links to Haz's um, work, and his course, uh, some things that are mentioned, you know, links out to things that are mentioned in the interview, then just go to videotalks.co and, and you'll find the link to the blog post where the show notes will be. Um, and also you'll find links to the other episodes um, that we've recorded so far. So thanks for joining me again on Video Talks. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, hopefully we'll get to know each other a bit better over the next few weeks and months. Um, and until next time, stay lucky. I don't know why I said that, but my I've got a friend who says that. So um, if my friend is listening to this, he'll know who he is. Uh, so yeah stay lucky that's what i'm saying to you and good luck with your projects and your businesses and i'll see you on the next episode cheers